This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital. To rock around. That's right. On top of tricky. All right. Element finally back. Doing a podcast. Been a little busy. Sean here with uh, Ryan and JJ. Woo! Residents in. Yeah. Right, who do we have on the phone? We have Dennis. We have to call him PFC Dennis. Dennis, how the hell are you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Dennis, if you could just take a second and reintroduce yourself. His name is Hope. <laughs> used to roll snowflakes <laughs> by the OZ. I'm just going to summarize, summarize my life in a few seconds. He is, yeah. He's Jay-Z at PFC. Like, in 35 seconds. In 35 <laughs> seconds or more. All right. Um, I'm uh, I'm Dennis. I'm the podcaster of Pull on Field Care Podcast. I've been doing that for about uh, um, five years now. I am a 18 Delta since 2007, so I've been around for a hot minute. And uh, usually spend my day training uh, future medics. That's pretty much it. And I think you and you and JJ have a side relationship at work. Yeah, we're we're good buddies. Um, yeah, and, yeah, we're good uh, buddies. He, he bounces some ideas off of me every once in a while. Um, usually it's the reverse. Usually it's me going, hey, what about this crazy idea? Or uh, some other stuff. But yeah, we, we had to chat, share uh, his love for cinematography. I love watching it. He loves making it. It's a big win. Um, yeah. And we got stuff too. Yeah. yeah. For those that don't know, that's Special Operation Medic Coalition. It's a nonprofit organization, 501. Or whatever those C3. three numbers are. Five one C three. Sure. Yep. And uh, we just we're out there unapologetically supporting the soft medics, um, doing what we can. We're kind of new, so um, feel free to come check us out. But hopefully, move on to some big things. Nice to say. So we hit on. I think our focus is going to be on PFC, but who knows where the hell this is going to go? Um, it's, it's hard to tell. It is hard to tell. It is hard to tell. So I remember back in the day. I think uh, prior uh, to you taking that on, when Justin was. Uh, a uh, podcaster at a time. I know we used to like, he used to be like coming in late, we're like, oh, he's probably doing a podcast. Oh, Justin and his podcast, man. Yeah, about Foley's. Wait, wait, Dennis, just between, Is that a prerequisite just between us girls, man. Why good. were so many of uh, Justin's podcasts involving Foley catheters, man, with PFC? <laughs> Do you have any insight onto that? I'm, I'm assuming because he, he thought it was so important for resuscitation and uh, having nothing else to do. He was, um, I, I, I watched him try to do Foley's even before, like, like as he's putting a tourniquet on, like just for, right? just for an extremity bleed. I'm like, yeah, I thought that was a thing. I thought, man, you guys are crazy. You got to get those labs in as I guess, quick as possible. I guess, like, man, I guess. You got to get established a baseline. <laughs> Yeah. So I kind of got exposed uh, early on to you get some it exposed. Of the, I did expose. I think it's yeah. called bedside manner when you try to stop bleeding before you try to stick things down a keyhole. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's, that's valid. Well, that's uh, the the first of Raboa. Yeah. <laughs> the OG Raboa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going oh, to resuscitate you through the keyhole. Yeah, it didn't really work for uh, stopping bleeding, but it was really good for uh, monitoring resuscitation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and checking level of consciousness. Yeah. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's you know, if you try really to stop me, you lit. either don't need it or you don't want it. Yep. Right. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going I'm to bring it back. Right. I'm bringing it back. And right. so, uh, Where so yeah, so with, uh, with PFC, the, the rise of PFC was quick, man. Uh, I remember hearing him and Dr. Burns uh, present at SOMA. And then it seemed like things just blew up 
after that. And so if you just give us a little bit of the background of prolonged field care and where it's gone, how it's spread, and who all is using it or uh, training in it, that would be phenomenal. Okay. Um, you know, I think it was more born out of this necessity. It wasn't really in the skills that, that weren't taught, in the, at least in the Special Forces uh, medic course. Um, I'm sure in other courses as well, but so it wasn't like something that nobody was trained on, but it was definitely something nobody was practicing on. And as uh, we started pushing out into other theaters where uh, our footprint was a lot smaller, uh, we had to deal with evacuation times that are a lot longer than what we were used to in uh, OEF and OIF. So, so medics are having to deal with situations that are were outside of their comfort zone. So we had uh, Paul Ose and Colonel Reesberg and uh, uh, Colonel Keenan got together at the uh, SOMSA conference uh, with uh, Justin Ball, and uh, they kind of hashed this uh, thing out, that prolonged field care is something that we need. And once all the work was done, that's when I jumped in. And that's said, a good hey, timing. Yeah. That's a good timing, man. That's yeah, decision. I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty good, you know. Once the logo was done and everybody had done the majority of the work, you know, I once they started getting tired, that's when I jumped in. <laughs> it's like when you watch your buddies unloading a truck and you're around the corner, you wait for like they grab the last MRE box. Like, hey, bro, what do you need me to do? Yep. Oh, we got it, man. It's like, oh man. Now everybody just knows you, man. No one even yeah. remembers them. Right, nobody perfect. remembers anybody else. That's perfect. Um, you know, and I'm like the guy that's holding like a, you know, two Manila folders, one in each hand. And just walking around in circles, nobody bothers that guy. He's like, "Oh crap, he must be really busy." Look at him go. <laughs> Solid plan. I that like this. That is good plan. Of that. Man, that's good plan. If you so need to edit any out. of this out, yeah. let us know too, man. That's good. That's it. That's inside track, man. That's, that should be copyrighted. <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, uh, I think that's the new. That is actually how most of us were doing PFC back then. Right. <laughs> we were basically just walking around with two Manila folders, and well, uh, we're like, "We got this." Know, we we all, certainly briefed him at it. Yeah, well, you know, PFC ended at the brief back. Well, you know, what's your plan for, uh, you know, medevac that, you know, it's extended? Oh, you know, we have an 18 Delta. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Well, oh, then yeah. uh, oh. problem solved. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, nobody ever actually asked, well, what is the plan? Like, you can't just claim you have, you know, a guy. Like, we got a guy for that, you know? And it wasn't um, even talking about it. It was like a PowerPoint exactly slide that point. said two times 18 delta this location. Like, oh, we're good to go. Yep. Green light. <laughs> There's two of them? <laughs> Great. Right? <laughs> you know, nobody ever bothered to ask, well, when is the last time you took care of somebody, you know, for more than 30 minutes? You know, nobody bothered asking because they didn't want to hear the answer for that. Are you actually 18 delta or are you the team sergeant or the fox? Yeah. Right. How many other jobs do you hold? Yeah, exactly. But so as far as, uh, you know, who is consuming it, I think the reason why it has done so well, has taken off so well, is because it, it filled that niche, the uh, information that guys just didn't have. They, they, they had it, but nobody was really talking about it in a way that was helping them, I guess. Um, you know, usually when you're talking, you know, higher levels of medical care, you're talking to a doctor who's talking about things that happen in a hospital and aren't exactly applicable to the field. So I think through the 
working group, we've been able to take that, you know, ICU level, you know, surgical level care and what could be done in the field or is within the realm of possibility, at least, of a medic being able to do a simple procedure or trending vital signs or doing some kind of resuscitation, explaining how exactly you're going to accomplish this, you know, uh, in limited resources in an austere environment. It's funny you're talking about like the critical care and all that stuff. Like I remember before, like prolonged field care, care started like kicking in. Like listen to EM Crit with Scott Weingart. Like but like okay, that makes sense a little bit. I'm not quite sure. Like yeah, let's go talk to one of the CNRAs and get like clarity. But that was kind of like the first bit of information I remember getting exposed to was that podcast itself. And then yeah, that was a great podcast. I, I still like listen to EM Crit. And uh, another good one is the Smack Conference. Um, you know, they're really, they're obviously very good at what they're doing in that environment with that context. And I like, you know, learning about something that's that's coming down, uh, coming down the pike, maybe uh, to my operational level. But you still, somebody, you know, when they're talking about uh, central lines or, yeah. you know, the benefits of a midline axis versus actual central line, you know, it's like, well, you know, I still really only have an 18 gauge catheter. So, you know, this information isn't really helpful for me. You know, I have two different antibiotics, you know, so getting that context of the, of the environment is really important. Yeah. And I think I remember hearing the original kind of, if you would, the, that gap analysis, because it was interesting. Everybody was waiting to hear Justin and, and Dr. Burns kind of presented that thing. Yeah. And so you had a bunch of people from the TC3 committee and you had, you know, all these other guys, a bunch of guys from the schoolhouse and stuff. And I think one of the things that they kind of did was show that so much focus, especially in the, uh, I guess, the heavy Iraq big footprint days were was just so TC3 focused that people kind of lost touch with some of the older school 18 Delta skill sets, man, that were, were ingrained from the beginning and kind of lost touch with that because everything just turned into this, you know, your, your average time from point of wounding to, to being at an MTF was, you know, under 45 minutes and, and this and this and everything was so quick that some of those skill sets weren't needed. Then all of a sudden it was, it was needed. And, and it was almost kind of a relearning. And a lot of people were like, man, you know, we did this stuff. A long time ago right you know this was a big key thing and it seemed like it was more of a gap analysis where one it made sure that everybody realized like this isn't uh prolonged tactical field care this is a whole different thing than trying to blend this into this new tc3 thing that everybody's focused on the other side of it that seemed like is uh correct me on this but i i, I kind of saw this at the presentation and heard some people from the schoolhouse actually get up to the microphone and validate it is I think one of those questions that they realized when they were deployed on that cycle when they started working this out originally was that that 72-hour hold that was basically said that an 18 Delta could have, they kind of said, nah, that's kind of it's kind of bullshit, man. Like, you know, when you look at it, and that's and I remember a couple um, instructors from uh, the schoolhouse coming up going, dude, that's that's true, man. You know, it's it's completely context dependent. And to say like, oh dude, no matter what the situation is, we can hold this patient for 72 hours and keep them and everybody's like, dude, that's bullshit. I also think at the time too, like as a, yeah. at least for us as a community, we're, we're flailing a little bit because it wasn't clearly defined what we needed. I think guys knew like, hey, I don't quite have it. And I remember at that time frame before they kind of did it, it was like, oh, how do we get better? It's like, I need to be a critical 
flight paramedic. Yep. I mean, right. be That's like, when all okay, they so did. So we started chasing all these things. Yep. I remember I, I started like, I was like, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with what I'm actually going to do. But I think like at that time before, there was, the problem wasn't defined with that gap analysis. I think like guys like, in kind of hindsight bias, and I was like, you knew something wasn't right. And so we're searching for easy buttons to get certificates to be like, oh, I'm good now. But then the reality is like, no, you're, you're not good. Yeah, I'm actually worse off now. Yeah. I feel like my head is information I don't need. It's the SOCOM that is supposed to be for 72 hours, you know, for planning purposes. It's the SOCOM, not even the 18 Delta. Yeah. Um, he's supposed to be indefinite, which is right. even scarier. Well, good but news is once your patient's dead, scary. like, you're good. <laughs> like the that says, hey, uh, all my casualties will be off the battlefield in less than an hour. You know, the yeah. world starts moving in a different orbit, okay? And so that's that, that was a new context. You know, he changed the the environment to fit that requirement um, because there was no other option. You know what I mean? But everybody forgets that somebody is always going to be first and somebody's always going to be last. That's the way it is. So it's those those initial entry teams. There is no footprint. They're the footprint. You know, you have to be prepared either because it's a, a uh, Maybe a small conflict where you have small numbers of people uh, doing whatever, or it's initial uh, contact in a large war, you know, full-scale war. If those initial guys, they're they're going to have to be prepared to take care of casualties for an extended period of time until that footprint can be established and uh, expanded. Yep, that's exactly. And if you could just kind of go in and uh, I guess you know. Everybody here can go in, but I kind of really dig the way that it's written. What is it? Is it good, better, best or something like that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And how that is because, you know, you could be having to figure out your PFC capability based on local economy and and it's a little ghetto or you could end up having just a a great capability. But in that, it kind of deciphers it up. And how many categories are there? Were there nine? Something like Uh, that? There's ten. Ten. Ten categories. Um, if you want, I can I can go through them real quick. That would be awesome. Okay. Um, so number one, monitoring. So bare minimums, that's like your blood pressure cup, a stethoscope, pulse ox, um, stuff that you should have in your egg bag normally. Even doing eh, maybe not the blood pressure cup with T-Tri-C, but something very small. This is the bare minimum. And each, each of the 10 have a bare minimum of what you're going to do, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is that well, at the worst, if you can, if you're one of those people that does, this is what the bare minimum is. Your patient's probably going to be all right. Okay, you're you're gonna able be able to continue with the mission. It's just gonna be harder because you're gonna have less stuff, right? Um, so yeah, monitoring. You know, they added things like the Foley catheter, right? Justin Ball uh, showing his stuff there. <laughs> Get it um, all the time. Yep, it's just a headache, right? man. It's just a yeah. You know, but um, if you want to do one better than that, okay, well, add some capnometry to that. Okay, that'll get you the better category. Best, you have a you know vital signs monitor that is able to take your your vital signs for you um, at whatever interval you ask it to do. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's number one, and all of them kind of go with this minimum, minimum better best. So you have uh, resuscitate. Have some ability to resuscitate your patient. 
uh, ventilate, oxygenate, uh, sedation, pain control, some ability to gather, uh, uh, do a physical exam or some other kind of diagnostics. So things like uh, reflex hammer, you know, just basic basic physical exam shit like that. I mean, most your physical exams you're just doing with your hands anyway. So hopefully you don't lose it. But um, you know, things like ultrasound, you know, point of care, lab testing, stuff like that. Anyway, um, number seven, you got your nursing care, um, hygiene, comfort measures, stuff like that. Uh, number eight, your surgical ability to provide some kind of surgical intervention, you know, crikes, chest tubes, things like that. Number nine, telemedicine. And number 10 is being able to prepare a patient for evacuation. Solid. And then as far as like the minimum better best, you covered a little bit. Um, there's also the ruck truck house. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Plane, that, right? So we'll, we'll hit a little bit about that. But I think um, the important piece or the part I want to kind of talk about and share was like how this came about. You explained everything about like how PFC came about, which is awesome. But um, I'm guessing um, and the way I kind of see it is the reason that the 10 came out and then the reason that we had the minimum better best is you get buttloads like I do of questions People want like the easy answer of like, okay, what do I need to study? Right. And you got tired of saying, well, it depends. So instead you said, hey, here's the deal. Like best case scenario, we would love it if you had all these things, but you can't just quit there because you're probably not going to have best case scenario. If that was the case, you wouldn't be in PFC. So here's some other options. Like if you have to get rid of something, like we all have that like right now, you know, if you're flying in a hot air balloon – and you're like, shit, we need to lose weight. What are you going to throw first? And that's right. basically what you try to do is narrow down. Like, well, what do you got to toss out first, right? Usually the guy and Aaron, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Yep. Uh, we, we cover that. And then babies because they're not going to be useful. Yeah. They're too right. young to do anything, yeah. man. They bounce. You're not going cross country with the guy and Aaron. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, Definitely not. But as far as, you know, minimum, better, best, you know, Every unit, even in special operations, you know, their budgets are going to be different. Uh, their abilities to get materials, is to, it's just going to be different, right? So we have our 10 capabilities. I right, well, within that, what's the bare minimum that I have to force a commander to purchase in order to, for me to be successful? And so, uh, you know, it's kind of the plank holders got together and we're like, okay, you know, example, monitoring well, at the bare minimum, they got to be able to take a pulse. They got to let's get a blood pressure, um, pulse ox, and you know, like a temperature or something like that. Um, that's the bare minimum that they got to do. Well, you know, what's what's on the other side? What's the best thing that they could do? Well, you know, it'd be awesome if they had a machine that could take their vital signs for them, so they wouldn't have to do that every five minutes or ten minutes. They'd take that off their hands. But at the bare minimum. They're doing it manually, and uh, you know that's what they, they need the tools to be able to do that. You know, and you're going through you know all the different categories with that kind of uh, mindset of all right. Well, this is the bare minimum that you need to actually fill, fulfill this requirement. And then we got onto the uh, the ruck truck yeah. plane um, kind of concept, right? right? The yeah. ruck truck house plane, and and I think a lot of us would argue that like the plane. Obviously, it's just a, a vehicle. It could be a boat. It could be whatever. Um, the concept yeah, it is it's getting you boat. away from, right? Right. It's never a boat. It can't be that, okay? <laughs> um, it's rock, truck, house, 
plane. Uh, and he said that, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you're not always going to get an airplane company. Well, uh, if you right? we were going to get something else, it would say something other than plane, Jackass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Dennis's point. So, why don't all right. You, it, it I, could be. I, I if there was going to be a boat, it would say fucking boat. Because it, it might not be a rock. It could be a backpack or, you know, a satchel. Right, no, it's not. It's a rock. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, but but the, the whole reason for that is it's kind of like the context of, you know, whatever mission Unless you're like an ace fighter pilot, you're probably not going to be inside an airplane when this thing goes down, right? You're probably going to be on the ground wearing your rock. So this is where our first, this is generally where we're going to meet our casualties first, is on the ground with a ruck. Um, maybe the truck or a vehicle to get off the X is nearby, or maybe it's not. But it was, it was just a way to frame how... This uh, this chain from the X to wherever the surgeon is going to be. How is this? How does this flow? So because it, it, the context changes, you know, the equipment that you're able to bring with you, um, the things that you should be expected to do are going to change with that context. Right, and it's basically forcing you to think in that process of intelligent. Uh, what's the word you always use, Ryan? Um, to have something to do with intelligence yeah. it wasn't me no not intelligent duplication what's the redundancy intelligent redundancy mm-hmm. um, right. and, and then getting you to focus okay what do I really need to carry like on the X do I do I really need a ventilator in my ruck probably not because uh, there's no feasible way for me to properly implement a ventilator on the X right so like a, I can you know, set that aside. How, like they bring up oxygen all the time. Right. You know, every patient needs 100% oxygen. It's breathing. But in the, same, in the same, right, same token, every instructor says, well, you're not going to have it. Right. It's like, why, why don't you just take it out of the slide then? But it depends on your context, right? Right. In certain patients, yes, oxygen is a very good thing to have. Nope, probably not going to carry it on your back, but... If you have time to set up your aid station or uh, wherever you're going to have your clinic, why why don't you have oxygen? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I guess, how I think about how the changing context goes with that uh, rock, rock house and plane. Um, I think a couple of things, too, which is kind of interesting is we kind of saw this earlier even within DOD, but especially when we start talking about this in civilian, which we'll do a little bit more here in a second – is people don't realize because you may have the capability and you have an unknown evacuation time that once you put that quarter in, even though you have an advanced capability, let's say, or you're like, hey, I'm going to tube this guy because I can. Um, right. But once you put that quarter in, like, you just tube that dude, man. And, you know, now you're looking at however long that somebody's oh, going to yeah. be, you know, without a ventilator or anything like this, they're bagging him. Or how did you, did you have to, you know, do some sort of medicated facilitation of getting a tube in? And do you even have enough meds to maintain that? It's just it requires a completely different mindset. So when we're talking about prolonged field care, what, what is that time that you guys usually talk about of how long you may be sitting on that? So, you know, is there a number that you guys associate well, they, with it? Before, like, that good kind of segue into this. So we've been talking about kind of like, hey, here's some of the principles that you have to be able to do. And here's, like, like how you triage it, you know, good, better, best. And then where your equipment and stuff gets loaded out. On the prolonged uh, field care website, you guys have the uh, teaching and training recommendations. And I think one of the yeah. big things is before you even start like wargaming it is like it's the a dose of reality. There's like a whole 
paragraph on there about, about like cast saturation and like every one of these skills like I can like yeah. I haven't practiced medicine in a while but I could do each one of these independently I'm like hey that's that's fucking easy I got it I can do that I can take a blood pressure I can do this but the reality check is that like hey we don't know how long it's going to be like and train it and then start adjusting your equipment up or down and then like you got to do that risk assessment like if I dump this for this what am I buying and like internal operational capabilities and stress like mm-hmm. who are my helpers who are my team so I think that like the, I mean if we're talking about pulling field care and stuff like that the teaching and training recommendations like that's the first thing where you need to start and read it and think about it and have a good approach to how you want to skin that cat because I mean it comes down to like setting up a good plan training it getting comfortable and then you make those educated decisions it's not like I, I drive me nuts some people are like hey what's your packing list it's like well, depend. Like you're saying, like it depends. Like I can't yep. give you a patent list. Yeah. There's no answer. It's like it's based on your skill. How? I mean, are you coming back from like you know two month this or that exhausted? Yeah. Is your team dead? Have you just trained? So I think that's a big thing. Is check reading that thing about the a dose of reality and the training outcomes, do's don'ts, and then kind of set up a good plan that makes sense for where you're going to be going to, and then also identifying who's going to help you on the ground, and then make some good choices. Yep. Right. I think. You know, you mentioned like, you know, a simplified version of, I guess, what is prolonged field care. Um, Doug Powell said it really well. It's that uh, you're taking care of a patient that you really have no business taking care of for far longer than you should. Um, that's that's essentially, fair. You're, you know, you're essentially know. running a little ICU, you know, under a bush is what prolonged field care is. You know, um, you know, doctrinally, you know, they say, oh, it's 72 hours or it's, you know, beyond T tri C. I don't really like myself putting labels on things like that. Um, because, you know, it is what it is. You know, you're, you're taking care of a patient until somebody else can come take them off your hands. Yeah. And it's really hard to plan for something that is already a, a, a failure that's happened. You had planned, nobody plans for prolonged field care. Just like nobody plans to be captured, right? That's why they send you to SEER school. Um, nobody plans for prolonged field care. That's like your, that's your Z plan. Like that's the thing that you, you hope never happens. You should you should be planning for other other ways to get your patient out if, if you expect any kind of casualties at all. Um, so things have already gone wrong to begin with. So you know, setting up a, 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 a training timeline. It's like, well, as long as we can get past the four-hour mark, then we're good. Well, and I think that's with, not true. Yeah, and I think with the, you know, and that was that was kind of cool is when Justin was still doing some stuff and, and they set up a thing and uh, Sean Keenan, Dr. Keenan was, was there and they had kind of these three stations and the uh, PJs had one. They had kind of, you know, basic assets that they would have. Uh, I was with Justin and we basically were working ghetto PFC off of local economy type of stuff. So it's like diaper on a guy. He's in a chair that, you know, you can move around and adjust type of thing that you can buy at a, you know, a Walmart a shower curtain over there. So, you know, his pee and poop doesn't, you know, I mean, it was, it was ghetto. And then, uh, Dr. Keenan had one where the test group with all the, all these crazy assets of what you could have with it planned out with like flat screens and shit like that. It was crazy. Like Cinderella. It was, but it was awesome because people could see very similar things going on, but using completely different organic assets where like we're screwed, man, like this is, 
this is not not cool, but we got to make it happen. So how are we going to improvise this? How are we going to make this happen? How are we going to look and go through those 10 things and be able to put whatever capabilities that we can acquire? Like it's JJ, it's Lampire Code a little mm-hmm. bit on that uh, and, and make it happen. I think that was a that was this really good visual illustration of, of working similar problems, but with completely different uh, organic assets, and I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to that. And that was that was kind of early in on on the day, but yeah, man. Because um, technically, you could get a crappy enough patient, man. You're sitting for a couple hours, and that's a couple hours too long, probably that right. you weren't anticipating. All right, can we move on here, guys? Without without yeah. like, pissing everybody off. Yeah. I mean, Ryan was jumping. And Ryan hasn't been on a fucking podcast for I don't know how long. He comes right back in like freaking you know just uh, doing his thing yeah he's yep. been welding doing yep. VA stuff doing welding school and he's, now he's like now I weld look I, at me now I, I'm gonna I just start in and fucking I started a personal non-profit as I wasn't getting paid friendly <laughs> you did I like that they just call that unemployed however it sounds better if you say yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna be pessimistic I guess that's yeah. fine Dennis I mean whatever man oh it's sorry about that uh, we do like to label things so you know that's our style sorry guys <laughs> Yeah, I was just kind of thinking, man. Got me. What was the definition of prolonged fit? You said. Yeah, taking care of a patient that you have no business taking care of for far longer than you should. And like listening to that way, it's like it just it shifted to something in my brain, or just like my brain's loose. But it's almost the same thing, like a mascal, right? Like, yep. Mascal is like you've got more medical problems than personnel equipment. And it's like you're in that same mode when you go into a prolonged field care setting. It's like you're saying, like, trying not to put a label or a thing, like, because yeah. you know, it's like time compression, like, it's just where you are, and it's flexing, it's moving, it's a fluid thing. Yeah, because well, you could be in prolonged field care with a minor injury. Okay. It just happens to be that you don't have any of the tools or you're planning or whatever, just like you could be in a mass cow with like two people because you just don't have an aid bag. Yeah it's, yeah, yeah, it's like I think that mindset needs to be like get the right mindset on what it's actually you it, it is, and then that's going to help out a lot versus trying to get a term and a label and a checklist. Like it, I think what you gonna, label it, man, like everything, like you lose fidelity in it, yeah. and now people see it as an easy button. Okay, now turns out we people, don't label things. Yeah, like I, I, I mislabeled our labeling. <laughs> I just want people to be a little bit more woke and open their minds. <laughs> Don't start that one. Okay, we We're not going to start down that rabbit hole. I'm gonna, that was all dinner right there, man. You I'm going to play David's role. You, you both just got tased. Um. All right, so real quick, <laughs> transitioning now. So there's a movement, and guys at uh, Ragged Edge, man, with Roger and uh, Dr. Keenan and all, are extremely passionate, obviously, with this. And so they're moving and working with TECC now, with the committee, and this... I think we announced it when was that last May? I think so, about a year ago. Uh, and they formed a subcommittee and are doing unbelievable stuff. So I think the update will be at SOMA in May with where they're at with uh, three different civilian certifications for the civilian version of PFC, which yeah. I think is hugely valid and fills a gap that most people I would call exists in a, like to quote Taleb man, like a, a platonic fold. They don't know that they're screwed if this happens type of thing, right? And they're still well, deploying things. It's with, that whole REM team where yes, like, REM, you kind yeah. of look at it, it's just like, this is a nightmare. Like, you guys, like, you, I don't think you quite know what you're walking into. Yeah. Do you want to, like, break down the REM? Like, yeah, so when I when I was looking at it and we are originally talking with, uh, with them about the civilian application, they kind of hit it from, like, do you think there's a requirement? I'm like, oh, God, dude. Like, even within your, your day-to-day mountain rescue, type of situation, let alone canyon rescue. So we do a lot of canyoneering with vertical teams because you can't 
inject a, a knowledge steroid better than canyoneering in really slot canyons in Utah and like the, the North Wash area to make a vertical team exponentially better. But with that comes a thing when you look at topo maps, man, like some of those cross, like you can skip over a foot opening canyon uh, at the top. And it goes down 250 feet uh, to where you're like, you know, it's it's narrow, more narrow than your shoulder. So when you get an injury in there. What's the term they use for that gray area with like the sprawling urban into the rural? Like some of those guys in California had used the term that they used for it. Yeah. Um, like the response is like now all of a sudden they get a 911 call and a, you know, an ambulance shows up. Right. And you're outside of like Escondido. Right, right. You know, he's down a 300 foot canyon. Look. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. You should have called somebody else. Yeah, you did. This is an our deal. And that's when I mean, canyon rescue alone, you're looking at usually when you read up in. There's some great books, even in Zion, where they're not as narrow. But you're looking at you're looking at a very prolonged time that you're sitting with them. So they will usually drop a medic or two out to find them. And it's usually somebody else in the group. They have to hike back to where the injured person is. Uh, and then they'll end up having to move them to the safest area and then bivouac all night because you can't get a short rope or short haul helicopter in until the morning. So you're looking at an easy 12 that these dudes have to go in, keep this person warm because a lot of the canyons will be wet unless they're super steep and just don't hold water. But I mean, the, the, the issues are just enormous with getting them, moving them, dealing with their injuries, creating a bivouac and getting to moving them to an area where you can get a helicopter to put a short haul in in the morning and you're spending the night with them. So even in, in that, which occurs, which occurs quite a bit, man, like every season, that, that is not an uncommon thing that happens quite a bit. And you read these AARs on it and people just accept it as like, yep, that's, that's life, man. It sucks. But I think bringing in some of these principles are huge, especially giving them guidelines to where they're not having to pull things out of their ass. I mean, they're doing a good job, but when you can bring in, the, the advancements that have been made in DOD into this arena with lessons learned, I think it's invaluable, man. And mountain rescue, obviously, we talked FEMA, SUSAR, DMAT response after a hurricane. You're not getting shit into you for 72 or plus hours sometimes to be able to get this. So that initial DMAT or SUSAR team, the state level USAR, I mean, you'll be sitting on some people. And you're hoping, you know, maybe the hospital isn't completely crushed or, or underwater, um, but you're sitting with them for a while. And then what uh, Ryan just brought up with the REMS is a program which is, for a lack of better words, it's basically like a four-man team that, that is a QRF for wildland line wildland firefighters. And you can pull up REMS, R-E-M-S, it's, it's rapid extraction module support. And these guys are having to go in not only as medical, but they're going in having the access. So they're going in. So they have to understand how the fire is moving, where it's going. Like that, it can to, shift. Winds will shift it. It's you know? like it's like time sensitive target planning. Like, do we need a truck? Do we need a helicopter? Are we like roping in? Where are we going to move our pickup to? And it's like, oh, by the way, can you give us a? Do uh, you have a paramedic? So they send some guy from a city truck, right? Who doesn't have a way? And I think to the, understand this, the, this is the first thing that jumped all. into to Ryan's in my head is because we were dealing with a couple just phenomenal dudes out there, yeah. Brian Britton's and those guys um, out there that are working on this. And it's a it's a huge problem. It's still being defined out there. But not only do they have to roll in, they have to access. So you may be going in a couple hundred foot canyon that you're having to rappel into on a releasable anchor. And how are you going into a, a fire where a line firefighter? You're probably going in from the burnt side. So those trees you think are anchors, those things, like, it changes. The context is totally different. It's nice and, how you're stepping in, like, sinkhole oh, birdhouse. And stones. you're bringing your med kit in, right, if you're having to go in. So you got, you know, ropes, med, everything, four-man team to get there, try and access them, assess and stabilize, package them, 
and then start your evac. And in that end, you can be bivouacking all night. And your medic's got a tummy full of fucking Krispy Kreme. <laughs> yeah. That's a bummer. <laughs> that, no, this is fire. This isn't law enforcement response. This is law enforcement response. I'm cramping, guys. <laughs> no, like some lasagna, it's like, right? Like, that's the yeah. firefighter? Maybe. Food. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. Chili, Chili, I thought. We, always, we always poke. Post them as like Italian dudes every time. On TV, well, there's so. a big issue when you talk yeah. about Dominic. So Dominic's Italian. I'm I'm Irish. So that yeah. was a big. That was I know. I did some gangs in New York shit right there. Yeah, that's how I roll. Okay. So, anyways, Dennis back Dennis on Leary. track. The one guy that's on that roll me. But yeah, it just seems like the 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 utilization is is huge in the civilian right. side. Even even Marshall, some of the saw guys, man. You know, talking about Scott and those guys, man. Thing. You know, they'll be out doing you know the, these uh, you know future. Uh, deals in the mountains and all. Like um, a task force and all of a sudden exactly. like they're in charge of a bunch of who knows what and then we've got to go. So how do you see that transition going, Dennis? I mean, do you, I, it seems like the principles you have are universal enough that it's... Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, yes, combat is going to affect prolonged field care. Okay? Just because it's going to change the context of your shifting through maybe you were in prolonged field care but now you're starting to get direct fire or indirect fire. Well, now you're kind of more in a teacher IC type thing. Just because somebody isn't shooting at you, maybe in, on this uh, this rescue uh, rescue team, was it the REM? REM? Yeah, the REMs. Uh, REMs, yeah. REMs? Okay. So, I mean, a fire is still pretty freaking deadly, and it can move really fast. So, you know, the concepts are all the same. Yep. You know, it's, it's just how is the environment different? Now, what makes... Um, maybe myself, how I think about prolonged field care different than, you know, one of these REMs. Are they all medics or no. is it just one no, or two there's guys? Some, there's some guys that, that aren't, uh, that don't be on there that, that need to be some where they're coming from, what the team composition needs to be. But. Yeah. And, I, and it, okay. yeah, so it'll differ. It'll differ. So, you know, even when you get into telemedicine, being able yeah. to call the phone a friend type of thing right. would be a huge one too, right? Yeah. Well, let's say, you know, just like an ODA, you got one or two guys that are, that's their responsibility, right? So maybe you have one or, one or two guys on this rim that that's their responsibility. Um, what makes us different, I guess myself and them may be different, is that I'm used to planning for stuff, for things like that. You know what I mean? And maybe they're not used to planning because they're actually a paramedic from whatever city and mm -hmm. they're just being tasked for a month at a time or even less to now fill this role and they really have no idea about the context of, of this mission, right? So they aren't able to plan and they aren't able to foresee, one, how long are you going to be out there? What kind of injuries are you expecting to sustain? And how do you how do you plan for taking care of somebody for, for that long period of time? During 16 hours, I would have to sit down and think for a little bit about you know, what is it going to take to take care of this guy? You know? How do we go um, over the train? How do you pack him and move him? Yeah. Like, well, you you for, if you're sitting for a couple hours, man, yeah. you know, you're having to maintain him as you're evacuating is still just like, holy crap. And you got to be ready to move on foot if the fire shifts. Yeah. Or like, it's and crazy. In an instant. But I mean, like, so just a, a very simple example, right? For one of these training exercises that I was going to. So we had a guy. Um, who had a uh, partial amputation, right? Big, nasty wound. And we we're talking about wound management, right? And so, you know, they sprinkled like a little bit of water on it. And they're like, okay, that's good. And I was like, well, you know, actually wound care, that's that's not very good. And so they're like, okay, well, how much water do you think we're going to need? And I was like, eight liters. 
you're going to need eight leaders to clear that out. And just because of international Red Cross uh, uh, guidelines, stuff like that. Anyway, um, so they're like, all right, cool. And so they, they grab like 16 water bottles and they walk over to the patient and they start opening them up, right? I was like, okay, well, before you open up all your water and dump it out onto the ground, let's think about this for just a minute. Um, is this your only drinking water? They're like, yeah. And they're looking at me like, I'm the asshole that made them do this. <laughs> and anybody who's ever trained with me knows that I never make anybody do anything unless it's like a, this is like a safety thing, right? You choose, you get to choose your own adventure, and I'm just the jerk that adds uh, levels of difficulty to it. So we walk through. Mostly levels of sarcasm. Honestly, hey, you know, if we're real. that's part of, that's real, part of my safety brief, yeah. you know, yeah. say like I cannot help myself. Right. Um, yeah. You're just going to have to deal with it. But so they're getting ready to dump all their all their water out. And so I asked them, like, well, what what kind of water can you use to irrigate wounds with? Like, oh, yeah. Well, you can water use uh, anything you can drink out of anything that's safe enough to drink. I said, right. And he's like, yeah. I said, right, we're in a swamp. Is there water around here? Nope. No. Just this murky <laughs> stuff I'm standing in. This, this, is murky, this is crappy stuff. Like, oh, could we could we clean that? Because we're special operators and we went yep. to a school. Yeah. You know? And, and we're really good special operators, so we don't actually like drinking that shit, although we can. Right. We don't. So we're going to save the yeah. good water for us. Mine tastes like turtles. And, exactly. and, tor- <laughs> and pour the turtle water on our patient. Because right. he can't complain about right. that. Yeah, exactly. You blow him up with enough drugs, he's not going to even remember this Maybe happened. he likes turtle water. He's the one that got hurt. That's his murder. People always forget that fish screw in that stuff. Yeah. yeah. They also poop and pee in it. Yeah, that's a good point. Too. So do I, though. Yeah. I mean, this, let's face it. There's a lot of things that happen in that water. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That's Dennis's nice way of saying, can we not go on that one? <laughs> but so, yeah, so the bottom line is. I'm like having the bottom, they, weren't, they, weren't thinking, they weren't thinking beyond the next 30 minutes right. of irrigating this. It's like you just about got rid of all your drinking water to pour on a wound. Yeah. And we're still in the field. Like, yep. he's not going to surgery. You're probably going to have to do this again tomorrow, yep. at and, least. And you're going to um, turn yourself from, PF, from a prolonged field care situation to a prolonged field care mass cow because everybody's, yeah, exactly. everybody's down with heat exhaustion. Exactly. So, you know, things like that, just the context of the situation. Hey, dude, and not only are you a paramedic that are now is now – going out and about to go find the casualty and take care of the casualty. You're also a survival team as well. And you have to make sure that everybody is taken care of. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that might be different. Um, granted, I've never been a city paramedic, but I would have to imagine that might be a difference between uh, myself and them is that, you're taking care of everybody. It's not just about the patient. You and I talked about this um, last week when we were talking to Dennis too. Is, and I know JJ was, was part of this too, but hitting up some stuff for Ragged Edge, man. They have that the dark woods. Yep. You guys want to yeah. just hit on some key points on some of the learning points that the guys do when they uh, roll in there. I know that they we've, we've helped out a little bit doing some of the vertical stuff for some of the SEALs and stuff yep. like that that's gone through, but uh, haven't done the actual full dark woods experience. But it sounds pretty 
pretty cool. If you guys can yeah. talk about that a little bit, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, I'll let Dennis do most of it because he's been there more often than I have. But uh, I just want to start off with the fact that their uh, realistic training is so real, I almost got arrested. So mm-hmm. we got that going for us. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you yeah. Had to keep yeah. Your pants on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did. I had my public exposure. I, I was sober and had my pants on. However, um, no, just, they just have really excellent uh, role players who really take the moulage um, and have a great job of doing that, but also acting it out and, and being their part. Um, and that patient just happened to be so vocal about her pain that the police decided to come over and see what was going on. But comical, but to me it shows like what a great experience it is because everybody's like, oh, moulage, you know, we need live tissue, we need this. Like, no, you can do amazing things with the right people and the right actors and the right mindset with yeah. very minimal items. But I'll let Dennis like hit most of it, and then I'll just jump in like I usually do. Um. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I, I've been I've been teaching at uh, at Dark Woods and Mountain Path for a few years now. I always learn something out of it. Um, what I like most about it is kind of the realism and the uh, latitude we have as far as the scenarios go. It doesn't have to be just. Um, you know, just by the script, uh, the the instructors have a lot of le- leeway to make things go easier or make things go harder, uh, depending on on the care that's given and the skill level of the of the team. Yeah, and then so basically, like a lot of the stuff that they're learning is obviously prolonged field care, um, but like you said, it's scaled. So it could be just a a mildly complicated T triple C situation that goes an extra hour. It could be um, up to, you know, I think, what, 10, 12 hours of you Yeah, 14 hours is the longest. Yeah, 14 hours of handling patients. And we're not talking about patient one, but usually patients in the multiple plurals. And the the beauty of it, I think, is it's taken off of real-world situations and experiences, um, both military and non. So you'll see things mm-hmm. where, like, a patient will show up for a couple of hours and interrupt what you were thought you had planned for your, you know, long-term treatment of this one patient, and then that patient may or may not disappear. And then you get in the, the uh, feeling of, oh, okay, cool. All I gotta do actually is hold a patient for like two hours, and then he's gonna disappear. And then, boom, shocker, nope, these three patients are staying with you now for six, seven, eight hours, and you just kind of treat it. So it gets you constantly, as a student, out of that world of feeling like, okay, I'm in my comfort zone. I can take a break now. It's like, no, I need to think the next three hours ahead. I need to kind of try to play this. And I don't even know if it's take a break. Like, I think it's a training scar. Like, you've got this algorithm, this checkpoint. You're yeah. trying to get to the end of it. Yep. And you're like, the, the lights at the end of the tunnel, all I got to do is this, is this, and then I'll be home free. Yep. It's like any sales yeah. scenario or something, man. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, oh, I got returned. It's so exactly. say, okay, check in, dopamine, I'm good. Yeah. Yep. And it just exactly. doesn't stop. People try to, like, race the physiology. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. It's like, I, like, and then, yes, I know it's coming next. They're going to make me do this. So I'm going to get it ready. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, start a fasciotomy, you know, in 30 minutes into it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, like, this, like, this is not how it goes. Yep. I can give and, you plenty of other things to do, you know what I mean? Yep. And you can go ahead and do that, <laughs> but you're going to find yourself now trying to move <laughs> mid-fasciotomy or whatever, you know, like, because... It's, it's going to react. And the, the beauty of it that I saw while I was helping struck there was I didn't, like Dennis said, I, I don't make anybody do anything. I just allow them to live their consequences. Yeah. Um, and all the instructors have that ability. 
and, and have the experience to do so. So nothing is like this suck fest because it's a suck fest. It's a an example of what you did wrong, and now you're going to experience it. Um, right. Yeah, like so, you that. know, like uh, uh, talking, we had a few NSW guys come through, and, uh, you know, they were super quick to want to RSI, <laughs> uh, this guy, you know, and he was burns. Um, so, you, you know, you can kind of imagine like, eh, you know, Airways probably in his future, but it's not like right now. Um, but they wanted to keep going with it. So, all right, cool. Yeah. Um, you know, go ahead and do it. And, uh, you know, now we have another thing that we're going to have to deal with. They had no concept that, you know, intubation is painful. <laughs> and yeah. it's, different than a, it's different than a plastic mannequin. You have to keep giving this person drugs, and they burn through these drugs fast. And you didn't do the math to figure out if you have enough. That's yeah, because well, because you never do math in public. That's rule like right. number like five at least of the Lampire Code. <laughs> I, I, right. I lose track of them, but I think that's Lampire Code number five. But I think I think what Dennis says is a good deal is you know you look over some of the stuff is you know they talk about you know being able to utilize certain you know various assets that you may or may not have, but like with ultrasound, wound care, uh, your your sedation and analgesics and and all these things, but then it's put into the context of prolonged. Right, which brings a whole right. other thing and you know people may be used to be able to do a quick fast or doing this yep. or doing that but when you start looking at it as far as now I'm sitting on it and you know what's the next thing this is all I've ever taken it to before yep. now what you know what am I looking for now what am I even looking for what, what's showing that I'm getting improvement or not yep. you know right. it, is, it becomes a whole different problem man yeah and how do I identify that if my patient isn't doing well do I identify that, that it's something I did or didn't do or is it something completely different right because you know, I haven't right. dealt with that most of the time you've handed that off to some you know PJ who showed up with a bunch of guns and a small aid bag but yeah, it's like, yeah, on the civilian side too is, is for a long time you know we were not doing the right yeah. thing right and so you know TC3 brought some things into us as far as doing you know uh, things as far as hypovolemic shock management things like this and, and keeping people's you know not trying to bring them up to you know 120 over 80 with, with fluid and doing all this other stuff slowly yeah. these things have come into the civilian spoke, sco- uh, scope but and why you're doing it, but what's interesting about it is, is you have these laws of unintended consequences, and a lot of times on the civilian side, you don't have to get certain things right. So my wound care may not because you know what I'm going to have them out in the hospital in two yep. really quick. They're going to be able to give me antibiotics and fix yep. whatever so, shit like, I just did. Yep. But now, now actually you're eating that yeah. shit sandwich. Yeah. Like if you not knowing exactly not so how to have it, and then like yeah. the next day, you're like, oh man, this is exactly this like. Snowball. Yep. Exactly. Like, I, think, I don't know how to do really good wound management or long-term wound management. Like, yep. usually, you know, you're there at the hospital quick enough, it's not your deal. Man, they'll fix it. They'll give me antibiotics. They'll, they'll yep. do whatever they need to do, and that's what they do. Or I'll just but use all, I'll use a whole bunch of gloves because I don't want to touch this guy or whatever, and I just keep changing gloves because, oops, I touched it or whatever, and or the next thing you know, like not, yep, not, you're not, out. Like, yep. It's bit me. It's like, shit, I, uh, I should have stayed some of the I, What I've learned when uh, I didn't training... So, that was a bad bummer. See, I think... What I hope, anyway, what they get most out of it is what are you doing to treat the patient and what are you doing to actually treat yourself? If you're used to handing patients off and they're all intubated, even if the guy didn't actually need it, they end up training to intubate them. You know, Um, you have to really think about what does this guy actually need right now to actually add minutes, hours to his life and move forward with those things 
if it's something that's not actually helping him, but it's just treating how I feel about the situation, mm-hmm. you know, he can wait. Yep. Let's see how long, if he's, if I can make this better with some basic positioning, uh, how about just put him on his left side? Does that go. work? Yep. The nice to have versus yeah. want to haves and the, and the, just the desire, um, we've talked with uh, Dr. Ring certainly a lot about that, yeah. like the desire to help. So you just do something that's, that falls into like the flight or the fight mode oftentimes. You're just going to do it because it feels like you're supposed to do it, but you don't need to. Right. And, and I wasted some supplies or. And what Dennis said, I mean, you remember, I never remember you remember this with Jay Johnson, man, is he'd always have that one scenario at night, man, with the vehicle accident and push people to want to do a surgical. Want to go and, do an airway. And in reality, yeah. if you like, did that, your night you're would be eating horrible. it. Oh, dude, you just added yeah. like four hours onto your nighttime deal having to maintain that thing where in reality, it's it like wasn't everything. a burn, it wasn't anything like this. It's yeah. because you kept the guy on his back. Yep. That's it. You rolled him and all of a sudden he's breathing better. And like even if he vomits, he's, he's good. He's, he's on his side. Yeah. And they could have managed him the whole time just on his side without yeah. having to – now somebody's having to bag like him. Somebody's now you lost one guy that could have been moving and helping well, do other Oh, things. and then you complicated every other movement because now you're managing a freaking ET tube or a crank or you – know. Yeah, or well, just like things Everybody like pain meds. Everybody forgets that nothing in life is free. Everything has good and bad about it. And even you know, an airway that – is generally a very good thing to have. It's going to cost you something. You know, are you? Do you have enough collateral to pay it? If you don't, then I suggest you figure another way out. Sounds like the Democratic candidate debates. Breathing is a human right. So how are we going to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Des, like what you're talking about before about you give an example about the water and like using that. And like not, and he's like not only you take care of this patient, you got to take care of yourself. And that's like then you still have your team. Like you haven't gone back to Disneyland. Like you're still in a very hostile, unfriendly place. And like at some point, like you have to judge. Like at what point are we Winchester and medical supplies? And like now guys can't go do anything because I don't have enough to treat my second guy. Like it's, there's a lot right. of like think like you got to like factor all that stuff in and juggle it. And like and then you have to also be like at some point make a hard call, call whoever's like. Call the commander or whoever's in charge. Like, hey, man, like, once we get here, yep. like, we are done. Like, we need, like, that needs to be pushed up and make that call. Like, hey. Game over, man. Put her in charge. Can't we yeah. just make this evidence space? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Don't pull that string. But just yeah. kidding. We can eventually make I mean, some of it. I mean that in a positive yes. way. We can eventually make some of it evidence-based as we continue to push the edge and gather info and, and data. Right. Thank you for uh, getting so many Foley data for us, Justin. I appreciate it. Um, so now we can trust that. And we, we actually, from that, have derived that we should probably use common Foley's. Right. We'll, so, write, we'll boom. write some papers. Boom. Done. Boom. So, yeah. We're excited. So yeah. we can do it eventually. Well, I mean, since you brought it up, what's the benefit of a condom Foley versus an actual Foley? Because um, a condom Foley, he's not doesn't change his rate of his actual urination, so he might as well just piss into a bottle. Right. And, and I would agree. I actually would just say just give him a Gatorade bottle. Um, so the benefit of a Gatorade bottle versus a condom Foley, I guess, would probably be amount of urine spilled back on the dude. And uh, I don't really like my patients covered in urine. But it's like, I mean, in my mind, it's like doing the definitive right treatment versus like a really silly stopgap. Yeah. You won't be able to move or like it just creates more work down the road. Yeah. And I agree that like I brought it up just as a joke, really. But if we're going to go serious. Oh. Um, no, I, I appreciate you it. We should talk about this. So oh, are, I was getting ready to jump all over you. But. No, yeah. There's, there's been a lot, a lot of people who have tried to say that the condom fully is the way to go. 
because um, they're worried about infections and things like that. I would argue that um, if you're doing it right, first of all, you're going to get less infections. Second of all, um, you're probably going to infect the body because he's probably got some major injuries a lot more with his urine dripping all over himself yeah. um, if you do a condom one. So, yeah. like, either do it or don't. Like, it's, right. you know. I mean, I can see where, like, like a regular Foley is really scary. Um, but, uh, you know, they have things like straight calves that yep. people do it all day, every day. Yep. And uh, I, I have been looking for some evidence-based medicine or just some studies um, on how many times can I just straight cath or straight or just how many times, yeah, or how many times can I just stab the bladder and do, yeah. you know, do it that way. Uh, um, I don't know. Nobody really knows. I don't know evidence-based. I don't know about evidence-based, but, uh, like I had a, I had a cousin who was a paraplegic and he had to use a straight catheter. Um, I think he did it well, like six times, four, six times a day. Okay. So, so we know you can do it. It, some patients can do it multiple times a day. It just depends yeah. on your insurance is. That's not covered. Yeah, that's true. That's a bummer. No, but, but yeah, it's like it, yeah, I understand the infection risk, but like yeah, and, I didn't just jump on this guy who was sleeping and start doing prolonged field care. Like something horrible has happened, and probably several things have happened that are horrible. You know his, you know his PP getting infected is probably the least of my worries. Yeah, and of again. My and again, it boils down to like, do your best to do it right. So if you've trained on it, ideally you can do it relatively sterilely. Maybe not perfectly sterile in that environment, but relatively. I mean, yeah. But another thing too is like what you're bringing up, like different like tools and things to use it. It's a principle. Like yeah. understand the different things, understand the risk, and like what you're gonna like you said. Then it's like nothing's free. Yeah. Like, understand what you're doing, and like when you don't have the right thing, make do and do something, with it, but do it for a reason and have a plan. Yeah, and that's that's my. St- Stint, just, like just everybody's anti-improvise like it's okay to improvise yeah. as long as you, you know, you're doing it for a reason it and improvisation is not just like oh i randomly have no idea what a tourniquet is i'm gonna just make one no it's right i understand like, how it works. never like learned how to do this. yeah it's actually really funny and how, you're like wow you're making that really complicated yeah that's <laughs> not gonna work reverse that's engineering right. takes a basic understanding of the items and, and the principles. Yeah. And I, improvisation is not the, the excuse so you don't have to pack anything. No. Or but, think about wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's just <laughs> retardation. Can I say yes. that nowadays? I think I can still say that. Right. Yeah. But I'm so much lighter now. Why can't I just stronger? Well, Why? I did make my entire team a bunch of shirts that just said, hold X to revive. And <laughs> handed that out as my med plan for a while. But, and I put some candy in my backpack. But that was about it. Okay. Uh, Swedish fish. That's okay. my go-to. Swedish fish is your thing. Yeah. Okay. Where's your BVM, Doc? I don't know, but I got dental BAM. Yep. <laughs> and some Swedish fish, and, and uh, your fish. T-shirt says "Hold X to Revive." One of the guys that's good at Call of Duty, not me, because I suck at it. He's gonna walk up and hold you, and then you're gonna be better. Bam. All right. Problem solved. Problem solved. Problem staying solved. <laughs> staying solved. That problem will solve itself. It did. I don't know, man. I but, just kind of feel like I want to talk about freaking some collapse rescue or some vertical stuff after talking about messing with these penises for a while. Yeah, well, and that was you. Yeah, I mean, we, like, we make I, it on. I have a really but, funny Foley story. I'm just not going to say because it's going to have to edit out, but it's, just, yeah. it's eating me up. All right, <laughs> we'll share that one later. But so, so we've hit the major things we want to kind of discuss, right, that, that okay. I know of, right? We've talked about how it started. We talked about who's using it. The, the mm-hmm. overall audience, which is basically at this point, 
hopefully everybody in the medical field that works outside of a a hospital. And I guess technically if if your hospital ran out of supplies or you uh, ran out of power or something like that, you could end up being in some kind of PFC sitch in a hospital. But either way, so we covered that. I know there's a handful of other things because Sean talks faster than I do, which is hard to do. So uh, I didn't write the other things down. So Sean, this what austere, else do we This austere emergency care. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry to hide back your show. Um, but uh, on top of the 10 capabilities, I think this the new austere emergency care, they're going to add two more. Okay. It's going to be plan- planning and comma or communication. Okay, so that's funny you should bring Boom. that up because that's the big thing I was yep. posting up here. So I said if you guys collectively, uh, Des, you want to start it off, just give us a couple of principles for people that, that are just kind of thinking about this or wrapping their head around it that, that could be anywhere from – you know, marshals doing doing you know rural uh, manhunt type stuff to you know rams or mountain rescue or anything. But what are some just general planning principles, like a framework of things to consider? And then from there, obviously, it's going to bifurcate into a bunch of other stuff of of what if this or what if that. But just some things right. that you just kind of need to to put into context okay. or think about. I think it's you know you got to be honest with. You know, just like when we plan, you got to be honest with the mission, right? Uh, what what is likely to happen? If I'm a marshal service, I'm the marshal service, and I'm going to go serve a high risk warrant. I think the odds are a lot higher that I'm going to get shot than I'm going to fall into a canyon. Right. You know. Um, so you know, obviously, unless it has, the house happens to be right over a canyon, but but you just got to think about okay, what 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 is the mission? What is what are the common injuries I'm probably going to get into? Okay, so on the extreme end, you know, gunshot wounds, or you know, he falls in the canyon, or they're burned by forest fire, or you know, major injuries, and then you, you're going to always have your common injuries, you know, sprained ankle, you know, this REMS team going in, you know, yeah, they're probably going to rappel in on a helicopter. They're going to have to traverse until they find wherever this casualty is somebody's going to trip over a rock or they're going to stub their shin into a, into a stump or something like that. So you're going to have basic injuries too, that you're going to have to deal with. Um, now as far as planning, take those injuries. All right, well, what's the common thing you're going to have to deal with? Okay. If it's resuscitation, all right, well, how much, how much blood can I bring with me? If I don't have, if I don't have enough blood, well, what kind of fluid should I bring? You know, um, and that's gonna. I'm sure they're gonna have some kind of protocol to go with this. Obviously, blood is better, but how do I get fluids into his body? So you have to think about that. Um, pain control, airways, things like that. But you just have to look at mathematically what do I need and do I have enough to actually sustain this guy for a period of time. Yeah. Now, does that make sense at all? Yeah. That's how I, I think I would approach. That being in their environment, that's how I would approach it. Yeah, I think you know, in the back of your head, even though you know I've been on a lot of like hurricane deployment stuff and things like this, is in the back of your head, no matter what you're told your evac potential is, it's never that man. Right. You know, and that's the thing is, too often we we go with uh, we believe that there's there's veritas, there's truth, and and okay, dude, we will we'll have that there within 45 minutes, so. You know, you'll be good after that. And did you just switch into Latin? He did. Did I? Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. No, oh. it was solid work. 
Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's the it's the Aperol espresso, the cold brewed coffee in that. So I'm sorry, man. I don't even know. Uh, all of a sudden, I, <laughs> his hands just went up, and he just went. That's how you debate. I don't know if you you can't see that on the podcast, but that's. <laughs> in about six hours after this 10 milligram quick release uh, freaking wears off, I will not be able to complete a uh, sentence. Uh, but right now, I actually no speak fluently. I, I speak four yeah. languages fluently uh, right now. Are you going to the mall later? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> no, Mister, keep spelling. But in the end, I think I think it's important that too many people hear or are briefed what that evac is or what the you know hey we're your air medical capability we can we'll be able to be anywhere within your region that your your AO is uh, within X amount of time and they're like all right that's what I'm gonna plan against instead of mm-hmm. saying oh wait yeah. by the way they were actually on another yeah. one if, if and it's, now if it's I'm not like, your asset it's, it's not exactly it's not yes like, exactly if it's not your well, asset. and they don't and a lot of us at least I know. I was probably two, three years in before I really understood like there's spins time and there's like there's a difference between a cold engine and a warm engine for level one, level two, air logger, ground logger. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, we can plan differently. So like you'd be like, oh yeah, it's only thirty minutes. Well, yeah, but it turns out it's only in in stage level one, I think. Right? It's when he's not. It depends on what. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's like there's different timelines. So you know, surprisingly. Blackhawk pilots don't appreciate it when you make them keep the engine on the whole time and sit inside the cockpit the entire operation that you're on just in case. They don't dig that. Um, I've done that to him. He did not. He he, he was not willing to be the next uh, medevac for me. So you have to take those kind of things into consideration too. So it's... I don't know, for me, like, too, like... Even things go right. Working with aircraft, like the, your medevac and the aircraft and that type of stuff, like just the more comfortable you get. Because at first you're like, hey, can you do this? Like, hey, this is what we're doing. You're like, got it, that's an airplane. Yeah. Aircraft, I don't want to like try and tell you what to do. And then like once you start working, the you get like more confident, like, hey, like what about this? And like, they're like, oh yeah, sure. Or, and then other options, like, okay, like how about we put it out here? I can give you 10 minutes here, five minutes. So that's something you just got to kind of talk through. And, yeah. And like, yeah, but. Yep. You're just not ready for it a lot of times. And you got to take it for through. granted that, like, hey, that's all you can do because that's what's on the slide. Yeah. Yeah. So don't don't label everything. Be like Dennis. Fluid. That's right. Yep. I'm fluid. planning fluid. I'm planning fluid. <laughs> <laughs> is that is, – is planning fluid – is that sold right next to the uh, blinker fluid? Yeah. It's a different fluidity. Yep. Is that, like, so a I'm, different – I also – Means we don't want to we don't want to categorize or stereotype our planet. I'm outcome non-specific, non-binary. This is a non-binary operation. Yep. So, is that is, are you guys on a capture kill? No, it's non-binary. Yeah. <laughs> we could be a, on a hold and sing to him. We could be a right. yeah, whatever. Doesn't matter. We're both operators. And state non-specific. And <laughs> state non-specific. That's perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, man, I want to hold you up more time because I know we're keeping you up late. But, uh, Dennis, thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it, brother. Hey, I appreciate it. And, uh, listen, they can go to, uh, obviously, you have your podcast on a bunch of stuff, but iTunes probably may be one of the easier ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, also, iTunes. Yeah. And you also have, uh, like, on the Prolong uh, Care Working Group has a website that okay. guys can go there and kind of download some basic uh, stuff as far as uh, examples for kits and, and things like that and gain a bunch more fidelity on uh, the whole prolonged field care realm for those that are unfamiliar with it, correct? But hey, warning, if you look at it now, there's a big snake on the cover on the homepage, so if you're afraid of snakes, just be warned. Yeah. 
Yeah, we don't want to trigger you. Yeah, um, we don't want it. There, it might be a trigger. Yeah. Yep, there, there are no snakes, though, on the Special Operations Medic Coalition um, front page. Oh, there is not. Yeah. So, so if you're afraid of snakes or just um, want to be awesome, then SOMC. Yeah. Then hit up SOMC and check that out. Um, there's a lot of this kind of information, a lot of big brains like Dennis. If you're um, a goth chick or dating a yep. goth chick and like snakes, yep. then, then you can go over there. Okay. There's there's some dumb people on there too, so don't be scared. So I'm on there, obviously, so they let um, some less intelligent folks um, on the SOMC. So you got options. That's what my point. Come out, check us out, um, share some information. Nice. Kick ass. All right, Dennis. Thanks a lot, bro. Hey, I appreciate it. Can't keep a little model hands on me.